So tonight, um, I want to concentrate on the institution of Holy Communion, of what it means to us, for us, what we believe with, with Holy Communion, and why we do it. Um, our readings tonight, they speak to, to the handing down of this, this ordinance in, in 1 Corinthians there. And, and also in recalling the exodus and, and the plague of the firstborn uh, and reminded of that as a, as a foreshadowing of Christ's crucifixion as the sacrificial lamb. And so digging into the passage from Exodus a little bit, uh, there is so much in that passage. Um, God is saying that this act that is about to happen, this is going to mark the beginning of the year for the people of Israel. Now, it depends. I don't know how many of you will know much about the, uh, the, the Jewish calendar. But it depends on how you look at the Jewish calendar as to when the year begins. So they have, and I can only liken it to myself in England, we have New Year's Day, January the 1st. And we have our tax season, which is from April. Um, so there are two different years, but within the same calendar. And it's very similar for, for the Jewish calendar. They have the year, which begins uh, legally uh, in ter civil terms with, with Rosh Hashanah, Day of Atonement. But in, in ecclesiastical terms, Passover is the start of the year. And here, the month of Nisan, God is saying, this will be the beginning of months for you. It will be the start. And you need to remember it as the saving act that I'm about to do for you. Now, for us, atonement and Passover are very, very linked together. They're not separated by half the year. They actually come together tonight and tomorrow. And if we walk through the rest of this beginning of Exodus 12, there's a whole lot which we can correlate to communion. In verse 3, there's the referencing to the lamb, a symbol for God's mercy and deliverance. And uh, the Agnes Day, which is in the top corner there, that, the lamb carrying a flag, and usually this symbol has the lamb standing on a mound. And that was a symbol for the church of Jesus Christ long before they began to use the cross for any reason. It was the lamb carrying the flag. That was the, the, that was the symbol that the, the, that the church looked to and used for Jesus, Lamb of God. And verse 5, the lamb being without blemish is ordered to be so that the lamb is fit for sacrifice. That's the lamb or, or the kid taking from the goats. And, and the goat was still used long into the, into the people of Israel, uh, being all the way to King Josiah in 2 Chronicles. And it reminds me a little bit when we talk about the unblemished lamb of servant song from Isaiah 53. 
but he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Because all like sheep, we have gone astray, turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we take the unblemished lamb. And then verse 6 brings from Exodus 12. That brings the importance of community into the whole thing. Because each person, each household, if they weren't big enough to, to sustain the one, then they would join with their nearest neighbor. But they were to take the sheep or the goat on the tenth day and keep it. And then on the 14th day, at exactly the same time, each one was to be sacrificed. They're all to, all to sacrifice at twilight the animal that they were about to roast and then eat. And anything that was left over, they were simply going to burn. So there was nothing left. And then in verse 7, the Israelites, they were to mark the lintel and the doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And that was the sign that would protect them from the angel of death as it passed over Egypt with the plague of the firstborn. And there's a correlation there for us. With the blood being what provides protection. And if you mark from doorpost to doorpost and down the lintel, you actually create the sign of a cross. A cross on which the blood of the Lamb is. And that's formed in the entryway to the household. So as we look at that tonight, as we look more in depth at that tomorrow night, the cross is symbolic of a doorway. Another symbol we often might use is that it's a bridge from one place to a next, in the same way that a door would take you from one room into a next. It's the blood of Jesus that is spilled on the cross that offers us protection against death. It is, it is Christ, through his atoning sacrifice, that as, as uh, John writes in, in 1 John 2 and, and 4, he is the, the protection, he is the, the answer to sin. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 actually calls Jesus the Passover lamb and making that connection with the exodus and the crucifixion. And so as we move to look specifically then at Holy Communion, at the regard of what is it? Why is it important? What do we believe when we engage in this sacrament? And those words which Kathy read from 1 Corinthians of Paul stating that he has delivered to the church in Corinth only that which has been received from the Lord. 
Now, what he's saying there is that this revelation, it's not a direct revelation to Paul. He's talking about the, the passing on of teaching that the apostles who were present at the Last Supper have passed on to the church since that day. And so Paul's had that revealed through the apostles' teaching. And he's saying, I've only given you the truth as it's been revealed to me. On the instituting of Holy Communion. At that first Monday, Thursday. And so if we go then through looking at that, and, and, and then we flip to chapter 22 of Luke's Gospel, where we actually have the event itself taking place. Luke only, only gives us what is, if you will, abnormal at the Last Supper. He only talks or writes down what it is that's happened that is out of the ordinary, that isn't normal for a Passover feast. The ordinance or the statute which was set many, many years ago in Exodus 12, as God said to the Israelites, this is what you will do every year to remember what's happened here. And so we have the bread, which is broken. It's broken for you. And the bread is Christ's body, and it, it's, it's symbolic of his body having been broken on the cross. And then the cup, which is taken after supper, it would be the third cup of the Passover. And Jesus says words which would never have been said before, out of the ordinary, not part of the Passover ritual. And he says, this is, my, this is the cup of the new covenant. It's the New Testament cup. And that is the blood of Christ. That's what he calls itself. He says it's the blood. So the breaking of the bread, that's Christ's body being broken for us on the cross. And the cup, that signifies for us what it is to be in relationship with the Father through the Son. See, the old covenant, that was, that was explicit to Abraham and then to Israel. But that's been made perfect. That's been brought to completion through the acts of Jesus Christ on the cross and his sacrificial death. And what does that do? That delivers all who want to step into that relationship. It delivers the forgiveness of sins. Now, the, the apology for the Augsburg Confession in Article 24, it says of the Mass, of, of Holy Communion, it tells us that the promise of the New Testament, that is the New Covenant, is the promise of forgiveness of sins. And it reads that the sacraments are signs of God's will toward and not merely towards us and not merely signs of people among one another. See, those who define sacraments in the New Testament as, as signs of grace are right to do so. There's two things in a sacrament, a sign and a word. The Word. And in the New Testament, the Word is the promise of grace added. Yeah. St. Augustine, 
He said that when the word is joined to the element or to the natural substance, it becomes a sacrament. It takes the word. And we're not talking about a word, an ordinance of a worldly power. And Luther would say, we're not talking about princes. We're talking about his majesty, Jesus Christ. And he tells us to do this in remembrance of him. The words of institution which are handed down to us from the apostles, which St. Paul, he took from the apostles and he gave to all of the churches that he planted. They, they turn the bread into Christ's body. Underneath the substance, it is still bread, but it is Christ's body. And the cup, the juice or the wine, underneath of the, the physical element, it becomes Christ's blood. And this is a glorious mystery. And I'm happy and glad that it's a mystery. And I don't have to try and explain it. It's both and. That's the sacrament of Holy Communion. That is, for us, a means of grace. And that we do this in remembrance of Jesus. It's not that we're remembering this, this point in history where he sat in the upper room with his friends at a table and said, isn't this jolly? Just, just, just remember that we were here once. And when you eat and drink, remember what I've said. Remember what, I've, what we've done together. It's much, much deeper than that. It's much more than that. Because when Christ says, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying, remember the words, yes. But remember what the words mean. Remember what's behind the words. Remember the belief in the words and that as I go to the cross for you, your sins will be forgiven. So it's not just the time and place we remember. It's the fact that that very event changed all events that will come after it. In Article 24 of the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, it continues by saying, so the word offers the forgiveness of sins. A ceremony is a sort of picture. And as Paul in Romans 4.11 calls it, the word making known the promise. And therefore, just as the promise is useless unless it is received through faith, so a ceremony is useless unless faith, which is truly being truly confident that the forgiveness of sins is here and offered, is added. So the ceremony is useless and meaningless unless we add faith to it. And that faith encourages a penitent mind. And just as the word has been given to us to, to excite faith, the sacrament has been set up so that it meets, it allows the eye to meet what the heart should be moved by and believe. See, the Holy Spirit, it works through both word and sacrament. 
So the bread, the bread that we will partake of later this evening is both the consecrated body of Christ and bread. And the cup as you receive it is both juice and Christ's blood. And again, that's because Christ said it is that it is. And that's about the best definition I've got for you. And as we come to the table later, we're first going to have this, uh, a time of corporate confession in our service together. And then after the Eucharistic prayer, after we've have gone through a time of consecrating those elements so that it is no longer, as it is now, just bread and juice sat on the table. There will be a time before coming forward to receive Christ's body and his blood to have a time of personal confession. That can be sat in your pew. It can be kneeling. It can be coming to just say, not, not spilling your guts and telling me everything you've ever done wrong because we don't need to do that. But just simply saying, you know, I'm a bit of a sinner and I'm in need of absolution. And then hearing that that very act has been received by God. And he says, you're forgiven. And it's great to sometimes hear those words. But when we don't speak of our sin, we allow the enemy to hold that power over us. But in releasing it, in, our, in, our, in hearing our own selves and our own voice say, I am a sinner in need of repentance. I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. There's, there's power in that and it takes the power away from the enemy who may be niggling at you that there's still this thing that you're not forgiven for. And so whether you choose to take advantage of that time or you just wish to sit in silent, solitude prayer, that's up to you. But the act of penance, the coming to God and confessing your sin is of vital importance before receiving the sacrament. We do this in remembrance of him. Like I said, not just remembering the night before he was betrayed. Not just the words that he instituted. But all that is accomplished through his sacrifice is what we remember. The sacrament of Holy Communion, it brings the benefits of Christ's work into the present day. And it can and it does transform lives. It takes what happened over 2,000 years ago in the upper room and by us doing as Christ did, as he instituted, by us speaking those words that he gave us and by us coming to receive the sacrament that he ordained. 
our life is truly made better, transformed. And every time we take it, if we come with the right attitude in mind, having confessed our sins, the means of grace, which is in the sacrament, can truly be felt in our very being.